For those who don't know, the stereotype for lesbians is that you bring a U-Haul to the second date. (laughs) And lesbians have this stereotype of getting into relationships very quickly. You know, lesbian bars struggle to survive because once a lesbian gets a girlfriend, she's like, I'm good. Hello, and welcome to this second virtual episode of Interstates and Heartbreak. On this Sunday morning, I'm really excited to be speaking to Daris Murphy. She is one of my former coworkers. We actually worked at Universal together, and we sat next to each other. We really bonded, and we began talking about our personal lives after some late nights and, you know, some crazy experiences at work that always seem to bond you with somebody. And so I would love to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself before I kind of dive in. Well, that was an incredible introduction. As you said, Darius Murphy, Leslie is one of the funniest people I've ever met. So feeling super honored to be here right now. A little bit about me from LA originally, went to school on the East Coast, came back, never left. Worked at Universal for a really long time, like seven years. I was a page, like 30 Rock style page. Worked my little way up and stayed there for seven years. And now I work at Netflix. Amazing. Honestly, Darius is, first of all, too kind because you're way funnier than I am. So there's no way I'm one of the funniest people you know. And she's super impressive. So I remember when I started at Universal, I knew that Darius had worked there for a while and I was like, she's so intimidating. And then when she moved over to franchise and we sat by each other, I was like, oh, she's really cool. And she is not, she's intimidating to strangers, but she's (laughs) a great person. So (laughs) that is a very (laughs) funny description that I feel like translates to other areas of my life where it's like, I like look cool until I start talking. At least you have that initial cool factor. I don't think that I come across as cool even before I start talking. Oh, please. You're like Gabrielle Union style. No. Like Barbie, swear to God, guys. If you if you don't know, now you know. Now <laughs> oh my you know. God. You're making me blush. Well, I have to tell one of my favorite stories about the time when we worked together. And <laughs> it's, it's pretty short, but it's pretty great. So basically... After we got to know each other really well, you know, like you bond with your coworkers in a way that you don't really anticipate. And so sometimes you might ask them weird things. They might hear weird things about you. And this was kind of one of those times. So Daris is at her desk and she turns around and looks at me. There's no one around. So basically we had this setup where there were four cubicles in a square. And so the other two girls who sat by us were gone. No one else is there. Daris turns and looks at me. And she asks me a question, and I'll clarify what the question is later, but what I heard is, can you tell me which side my tension is on? And she's kind of like pulling her shirt over to one side. So I was like, oh, in her upper back. And I'm like, okay, sure. So she walks over and I reach out and I start massaging one side of her back. And then I reach out and massage the other and I think you had kind of turned around slowly and I saw your face and I was like, 
Oh, that's, that's clearly not what she'd ask. And I don't know if you ever have those moments where you hear one thing, but then after context sets in and more time sets in, you're like, that is what they said. And what she actually said was, can you tell me which side my tattoo is on? And I just gave this girl a back massage in the middle of the <laughs> office unsolicited. Um, so that's an incredible story. I feel like there's some additional context needed. Um, a little bit about me is that I was a little like, you know, workplace stiff. Right. And so I, you know, was like all business Mm -hmm. and all of these girls that we sat with, Leslie included, you know, had just like slowly whittled their way (laughs) into my like work heart. And so, you know, I was like, what? Are you touching my body right now? But I think what's important to call out here is that the nature of the question I asked you was aggressively intimate as it is and speaks to the fact that I should know what side of my back my tattoo is on. Um, And this is why I don't recommend getting further or any back tattoos because they are not for you. They're for everybody else. And you will never even remember you have it. So if anyone was looking for tattoo advice that's my two cents oh my gosh yeah yeah you know I'm really glad that we did chip away at your work hard because look what a beautiful relationship it fostered look at us now look at us now recording a podcast getting all personal so yeah we're about which, to get personal very much so and speaking of which what is your current relationship status I am in one <laughs> very direct <laughs> Did I, did I answer that right? Yeah, yeah. So how long have you been in your relationship? It's been like a year and a half and some change. Mm-hmm. A year and eight oh. months. Wow. Wait, a year and eight months. Time has year and six flown. Wow. Okay. I mean, obviously, you know. It just, like I'm that. just in shock that that much time has passed. Honestly, same. <laughs> and so for you, I feel like your relationship status is extra significant because right before quarantine began, you two made a big relationship decision and decided to move in together. And so what was the, can you remind me, what was the timeline of when you moved in together versus when we were forced to stay in our homes indefinitely? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So we decided to move in together. What's ironic about this is we'd actually decided to move in together in January of 2020. Mm -hmm. And for different reasons, we needed to kind of push that back. My girlfriend's best friend of like her whole life, basically, they met when they were two, was moving to Chicago, but needed to keep pushing it back based off of logistical reasons, etc., So we finally moved in. We set our date for March 15th and we moved in March 15th. And I think everyone's getting the same PTSD I'm having at that time frame because we all know what was going on then. And we moved in one day before the shelter in place order went in. So we moved in together and then could never leave the house. Wow. I honestly do get PTSD with that date because we just think back and it's like, oh, March 15th, like, wow, I can't believe the city's shutting down for two weeks. And then here we are. It's August. Yeah. It was also a wild time because I had just, I had given my notice at Universal a week prior. And so not only was I moving in with a partner for the first time Mm -hmm. in years, in many years, but I was changing jobs for the first time in even longer and starting a new job 
that I thought by the time two weeks rolls around, I'll be heading right into that, that office and we all know yeah. what happened next. So yeah, it is very triggering indeed, but I'm honestly <laughs> impressed because it sounds like obviously both are going really amazing for you. And of course, we're going to dive more into that, but I kind of want to take a step back and kind of go back into what Darius and I would talk about when we were working at Universal. Because, you know, there was a period where we were both going through dating at the same time, and I feel like we got to talk a lot about what online dating is like. Darius was actually a big inspiration for me wanting to even start this podcast, because I was like, wow, there's a lot to talk about on this subject. <laughs> um, so I'd love to hear about, before you met Ruthie, what was your primary way of meeting girls? Like, did you meet most people on apps or did you have more of like an in-person vibe? Was it kind of a combination of both? It was predominantly apps. And I'll explain why for a couple of reasons. As you know, I am obviously queer because we've been talking about my girlfriend for the past several minutes, Mm -hmm. but I'm also femme presenting. And so it's, it's really challenging to alert to people Mm -hmm. that you're interested in them besides just being friends. Mm -hmm. And so I found apps to be just a lot easier, cut out the middleman. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely did a lot of dating on apps, most of my dating on apps. I'm also incredibly socially awkward. And so... You know, when I'm first meeting someone, Mm -hmm. I am. It's a little hard for me to, like, kind of parse through Mm -hmm. what should be happening next, what I should be saying. So the apps really helped me kind of, like, get a buffer going. But meeting people in person was also helpful. And so I would go to, you know, gay bars and lesbian nights. Lesbians only get nights. We don't get whole bars. Um, We, yeah, we often yeah. complain about this, but we joke that the, we, the, mm-hmm. the royal we, as in all <laughs> queer women, women X, we joke about the fact that lesbians don't get their own bars because as soon as we get girlfriends, we never go out anymore. <laughs> so that is obviously true because they're not sustainable. <laughs> there was a lesbian bar when I first moved back to LA after college called the the Palms, I want to say, in West Hollywood. And it closed like the year that I moved back. And it was definitely on its way out. Mm. And so, yeah, we, we would go, I would go to lesbian nights and they're, they're super intimidating because the community Mm. is really, really small. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we only have these nights, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like a lot of pent up energy and and it's a lot of pressure and there's all these clicks. It's still LA, Mm. right? So there's all these clicks. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to know everyone, but then you don't want to know everyone because then you're going to start to date each other. And that's another stereotype of, of women dating women which is mm-hmm. you know that you're dating each other you're dating your friends you're yeah. you're dating exes which all it's all true it all holds true yeah and so it's sort of a very intimidating like piranha style shark tank style environment oh my gosh. that you have to kind of like work your way through and so but I to be honest found that to be not easier but yeah. better because at least when I was there that guesswork is out. It's yeah. like, yeah. hey, you're gay. Although I will say, so mm. I spend a lot of time in any sort of gay space. Mm-hmm. And so I had done the AIDS life cycle, which oh, yeah. is like a 350 mile bike ride, mm-hmm. 545 miles. Wow. That's wow. 
it's been a while yeah. since I did it clearly yeah. from San Francisco to LA for mm-hmm. AIDS research and for the LGBT centers in LA and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So I'd done that honestly in part to meet other gay people yeah. and that worked. And so I was hanging out with some of those gay people, fundraising, trying to crowdsource and get people to sign on for the next AIDS life cycle. And we were at a lesbian event called Lesathlon, which is like basically like a camp. And Mm -hmm. there were like athletic activities. And so like you would have to assume, or I I would hope that you would, at least in this environment, assume that everyone there was interested in women identified people yeah and um i'm sitting there i think i'm flirting with this person Mm -hmm. and you know like an hour into our conversation they go so like do you like women are you are you okay (laughs) and at that point i feel like i just some like a little something in me snapped (laughs) you know (laughs) what do i have i invested an hour in this what do I have to do? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So anyway, it can be a challenge and that's where apps come in. Yeah, that's fair. And I guess I didn't really ever think about that added element of not only having to think, oh, does this person find me attractive? But is this person even the same orientation as myself? That is really hard because I feel like it's difficult enough to kind of like suss out the attraction and get the confidence to approach someone in person, let alone when you're unsure if, you know, it's even someone who would be open to your advances. So that's really tough. Yeah, I remember going to my first Dinosaur. Dinosaur is, for any listeners on this podcast who are not familiar, is this weekend in Palm Springs mm-hmm. where a lot of lesbian antics take place, pool parties, comedy shows, all mm-hmm. kinds of events. And I remember I went to my first one when I was like 23, 24, mm-hmm. and it felt like a carnival scape. And I remember describing to someone... I was like, this is what it's like for straight people every weekend. Every time they step into a bar, <laughs> oh my gosh. they just can walk around and know that the person that they want to talk to is interested in at least what they're bringing to the table. It might yeah. not be you, yeah. but you can take that barrier of guesswork out and just yeah. hit on someone, talk to someone. Yeah. And there was a freedom in that that, was, yeah. that I wish we had more of. Yeah, I never really thought about that privilege. Honestly, because of quarantine, I already will never take for granted the opportunity to go to a bar. But now after hearing that, I definitely won't either. Well, I think, you know, Gen Z gives me a lot of hope for a lot of reasons. I'm like all about Gen Z. They crack on us all the time. I know we shouldn't be on TikTok. They do. (laughs) And I'm not leaving TikTok. So there you have it. But, you know, I, they give me, they inspire me a lot because I think, in part to a lot of the work um, around queer visibility that our generation and generations before us have done, they're coming out way earlier than we did. And because of that, they're a lot more forward. And I feel as though it'll be a little less of this thing that Mm -hmm. you're, you're grappling with all the time. You know, people, millennial people are often like basically having a second puberty when you're in your 20s because you're like oh now I get to do this with someone I'm actually interested in instead of pretending that I think Josh Hartnett is hot Mm -hmm. because I didn't (laughs) okay so how old were you when you came out 
I was 20. I was in college and I basically came out in a relationship. How gay is that? You know, I had spent my senior year, you know, kind of casually hooking up with this woman who would end up being my girlfriend of four years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was all in the vein of like, it's senior year of college. You mm-hmm. know, I do what I want. I had just yeah. gotten out of an almost three year relationship with my first like very serious boyfriend whom yeah. I lost my virginity to, et cetera. Yeah. And I was like really looking for freedom. I, you mm-hmm. know, I was hooking up with all kinds of people and it was really a journey to kind of be like, Hey, this is not just something I'm trying out. Yeah. And hindsight is 2020. So of course, mm-hmm. after you come out, there's all of these scenarios. We're like, Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. I've been very, 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 very gay for a very, very <laughs> long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you have any memories from maybe like early puberty or anything like that where you started to think, oh, I might be attracted to girls, but it just hadn't registered yet? I have a lot of those moments. (laughs) (laughs) Which to choose from? So I have two stories. I will only tell the first one in part, but I think, like I said, a lot of it is in hindsight, right? So none of it was very active, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I do look back and think about like sleepovers I'd have in middle school with my best friends and be like, everyone thinks about what it'd be like to turn over and kiss them right now, right? (laughs) Yeah. You're like, that's not just me. That's like a sleepover thing. Well, like, I'm not going to tell anyone about it. Yeah. So, you know, I had those thoughts, but a very funny story that a friend of mine from high school who we're still friends mm-hmm. we often joke about is that senior year of high school we'd gone to like our first I was a total nerd total goody two-shoes like Aww. high on life kind of gals and yeah look at me now so I'd gone to this party and I just started you know drinking mm-hmm. senior year of high school and I had gotten pretty drunk and I was having a sleepover with this friend and she was already out. She'd already had a girlfriend mm-hmm. and they had broken up and she was questioning her sexuality. And I drunkenly, apparently, offered, you know, if she needed to, to be sure about her sexuality, you know, she could make out with me. Oh my gosh. Honestly, what a good friend. You know, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just here for you. Yes. You're like, um, I'm so selfless. Right. Whatever you need to do. So I did not remember this. And when I came out in senior year of college and I was telling my friends, you know, Mm -hmm. from high school, I was really disappointed to learn that no one was shocked. It was one of those things (laughs) where you come out and everyone's like, oh, thank you for telling me. Finally. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so happy for you. (laughs) You're like, excuse me, where is the reaction? Right. Aren't you shocked? And they're like, absolutely not. And so I was telling this friend in particular and she goes, I'm, I'm so glad that you're telling me. And I, she was Aww. like one of the fifth people to say this to me. And so I kind of snapped and I was like, why are you <laughs> shocked? Why are you surprised by this? And she was like, well, to be honest, you know, she told me this story and she goes, yeah. so I've just been waiting for you to get there. <laughs> I mean, that's really sweet. That's such a great reaction. She's just yeah. like, okay. She's not ready to share. But I know this and I'll just wait until she is. Exactly. Oh, wow. That is, that is a great story. I also love that you didn't remember doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, talk about repression. I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is not something I'm going to register. <laughs> Drunk mouth speaks a sober mind. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah, yeah. From the mouths of drunks. <laughs> 
So once you kind of figured out that, you know, dating apps were the way to go because it removed that layer of questioning, how was your experience dating on the apps? And I know that that's a loaded question and it's very hard to summarize, but would you say you look back on it overall positively, neutral, or was it more negative? That's a tough question. I'm going to go ahead and say it was a mixed bag. Yeah. I think, you know, I encounter all the things we encounter dating on the apps. People are flaky. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you're just swiping like it's a game. Sometimes you're in the middle of talking to someone and they just stop talking back. Yes. Sometimes you swipe on someone that you think is hot and then Mm -hmm. you, I don't know, start talking to them or looking and you're like, oh my God, what was I doing? (laughs) Right. Where you're like, oh no, how do I get out of this? <laughs> so, you know, it was definitely a mixed bag. And like I said, I did most of my dating from there. And so I definitely got relationships out of it, but nothing yeah. longer than like three months. Yeah. One thing I did like about it is, as I said, it removed a barrier. And so yeah. if I had met someone on an app and we'd started talking, but it hadn't necessarily moved to the date phase, yeah. I would likely inevitably run into them at some sort of like lesbian function. And it was mm-hmm. kind of like an icebreaker. Yeah. Because it'd be like, oh, we're already kind of into each other. We never yeah. got around to making a plan. And mm-hmm. I've had several dates come of running into each other in person from that. That's really nice. I That has literally never happened to me. And again, I guess it's just such a, it's a larger pool of people. So of course, the likelihood that you're going to run into someone you encountered on the app is much more slim. But that is kind of nice. It is kind of like networking. It's like setting yourself up for future dates. That's really great. Yeah, but you know, we all have our horror stories. And I definitely was in a period in my life where I just wanted to have fun. I wanted to hook up. And so it was successful in that. Yeah. For that reason. Yeah. Well, did you have any horror stories in particular that stand out? Horror stories. Yeah, I have several. But (laughs) we don't need to go into a little horror story. I can tell you about a bad date, though. Okay. And this speaks to, you know, just how bad the pool is that this first date, as bad as it was, was not our last. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Also been there. It's like, why did I go back? He was like, what are you doing? So I'm on this first date. And we, first of all, several just things that should have been red flags. And I, and I believe this. It's not like they're, these aren't like the biggest of red flags. Yeah. But I truly believe that there are just certain things that you can like tell from a person. Or if mm-hmm. these are things that bother you, like they're going to be things that continue to bother you. So whether yes. they're a big deal or not, just listen to that. So yeah. this person was very late. And I'm like a late person. Mm-hmm. categorically. Mm-hmm. But on dates, especially first dates, I make a point to not do that because yeah. trying to make a first impression, exactly. everyone's already nervous, tensions are high, yeah. and you're showing someone what you're all about. And ideally, yeah. you're taking them seriously. Mm-hmm. And so they show up very late to this date. And on this date, reveal that they're, they were already younger than I was by okay. a couple of years. Okay. And on the date, they revealed to me that they're quite a bit younger than they had originally said on the oh. app. I was like 28, 29, maybe. Yeah. And they revealed to me that they were like 23, which is like not necessarily a problem for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. But I was definitely looking at that point to kind of be in a more substantial relationship. And yeah. 23 was not it for me. No. So I was like, okay. Different life stages. You know, I want you to live. I want you to laugh and learn and whatever those words say. So <laughs> I um, was already a little turned off by that. Yeah. Did they and so, say yeah. why they had lied? 
Oh, you know, some like fuckboy stuff, like I'm older, I'm more mature, age is nothing but a number, blah, blah, blah. Oh so God. you're a liar. So you're a liar. Okay. Yeah. And you're obviously insecure about your age, which like, yeah. that's a you thing. I don't, I'm not insecure about it. Mm-hmm. So that was already the footing we started off on. And then, you know, from there, we were having a pretty good time. Mm-hmm. And I started making some like jokes about Gen Z, right? Because at this point, they're probably mm-hmm. either like a very young millennial or right yeah. at the top of being Gen Z. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, well, don't feel so bad. Like, you know, at least you're not like playing with those fidget spinners, right? <laughs> oh, no. And they had been fidgeting at the table like the whole day. And... The moment that I said that, all of a sudden I hear a kaboom, boom, boom under the table. And I'm like, what Wait, the what? heck was that? <laughs> yeah. What's going on? They had indeed been playing with a no! fidget spinner. <laughs> That's like out of a sitcom. For the entire date. And when I made that joke, it shocked them and it <laughs> went careening across the restaurant. <laughs> Like, what? She called me out. Yeah, yeah. She knows. Yeah. Oh, my God. Needless to say, I continued to go on, like, at least one more date with this person. So that's just to speak to the the pickings out there. Well, I cannot judge that at all. Because especially (laughs) now that I've listened back to some of my episodes, I'm like, wow, you say this a lot. But I find myself in this position where sometimes you go on a date with someone and you're like, is this the person of my dreams? No. Like there are a couple of things that are less than ideal, but then there's also the question of like, okay, well, do you eliminate the person if there are no huge, like glaring red flags or do you give them a second chance? Because maybe they were nervous and needed a fidget spinner to play with, but maybe on the second date they would have their nerves a little more under control and you could get a better sense of what they're like. So it is really kind of a fine balance, even when you have more people to choose from of being like, okay, well, should I give this person a second chance or should I just go with my gut and like cut them loose right away? So I respect that you gave them a second chance. Well, you know, you, you bring up something that I actually thought was really important about dating when I was dating and dating on apps in particular, which is I never went off of a first date unless Mm -hmm. it was truly horrible for that very reason unless you were disrespected or you know just had a generally horrible time or just really not into it and don't want to string them along I like to give at least two dates just to see what they're all about because giving someone two hours might not be enough it's true it's very true So you mentioned at the time when you went on this date with the fidget spinner that you were in your late 20s, you were looking for a relationship. What was kind of the progression of what you were looking for and your relationship goals while you were on the apps? Because I know you initially mentioned you had a period where you were just looking to have fun. When did you feel like you were in a place where you were ready to be in a committed relationship? And what was the turning point that caused that? Well, I had come out of a very serious relationship when I was like 25 years old. Mm -hmm. It was four years long. We'd lived together and I'd never really been like an out queer person and not in a relationship. And so it was really important to me to figure out who I was, what I was all about. And part of that was dating and figuring out what my personal style was. I just had a lot of figuring out to do. And so I spent several years doing that. And ended up getting into one or two more serious relationships from that. Mm -hmm. So there were like periods, but like I said, nothing longer than like three months or so at a time. 
And I think it was only around 28, to be honest, that I was thinking about just being a bit more intentional with my selections, not necessarily trying to get into a serious relationship. You know, I hate when anyone is asked to speak for an entire group of people. So I'm not speaking for the queer community by any means, but I do think that there is a freedom in already not being part of heteronormative norms. Yeah. And there's also a bit of a burden in the fact that you're, you're often robbed a little bit of your natural puberty time in middle school and in high school, if you're not already out. So, you know, I think a lot of queer people are just figuring out who they are in their twenties. And I think there's just a lot more appetite for different styles of relationships, whether that be polyamory. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's the same urgency around marriage or being in a committed relationship as something that speaks to like a milestone that you should be reaching. And none of those things are bad and they're completely understandable desires. And I think there's just a bit more understanding about that not being where everyone is at in the queer community. And so it wasn't necessarily an active goal of mine, Mm -hmm. but I did, as I said, I wanted to be more intentional with who I was seeing. I wanted to be, you know, I was getting older, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, don't waste my time as like a person. So Let alone in a relationship. Right. So it was like, okay, you know, I have incredible friends. I had a lot going on, a very busy work life, as you can attest to, we all had. And so I was like, if I'm going to be going on these dates, I think this is something that I feel like you and I talked about and bonded over a lot where Mm -hmm. you're kind of having to start over every two or three dates. You're telling the same stories. You're, you know, going through the same vulnerabilities every single time. And so it just sort of feels like you want to limit that. You want to save some of your energy. So I just want to be more intentional about who I was dating around 28. Yeah, that makes sense. And what would being more intentional look like? What were some things that maybe you screened for a little bit more or that you would rule out? What a great question. I appreciate directness. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. I tend to be very direct. Mm -hmm but not in dating at all, which is very funny. I'm very go second. I always Mm -hmm. go second. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so, which I'm not, I don't think that's necessarily the way to be. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying that's how I am. Yeah. And so I really appreciated directness, especially because there was so much guesswork that I had to be involved in, in dating. And so I would just look for that. Are you into me? That's one of the things, I think when I was younger, Mm -hmm. Someone being super obviously into me was not attractive to me. And I definitely, you know, a lot of my friends and I can relate and share those same stories of like, if you were super about me, I was like, oh, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Like, calm down. Do you like, like me? I don't know how I feel about that or you now, which obviously speaks to like insecurities you have as a person, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think as I got older, it became way more attractive to me if you were into me. So that was one of the flags I looked for. Are you interested in me? Do you take my time seriously? Mm -hmm. Are you committing to plans? Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense of confidence? And, you know, just a bit more about what you're all about, knowing what you're all about, Mm -hmm. being intentional, being honest, being direct and being into me. Those were kind of things that I was looking for. Yeah. 
I love that. One of my favorite podcast hosts, she always has this thing that she says, and she says, if you don't like me, I don't like you. And she has that about dating. And I feel like that's so important because it is very easy to kind of get caught up in like the romance, like, oh, this person who is so hard to get. I also think it kind of plays into attachment styles. I just learned what these were two nights ago. The serendipity. Okay. So it was like, oh my God. And now I'm blanking. So it was anxious. Anxious. That's it. Yeah. It was avoidant. And avoidant. Mm -hmm. Secure. And then there was another one. It was disorganized. Oh, I only knew about the three. I didn't know. And disorganized is a combination of avoidant and anxious. Ooh, that sounds rough. I mean, it's probably a lot of us. (laughs) That's actually so true. Right? Where you're like, I don't want you to be too into me. And then when they like show that they're, you know, into you, then you're like, oh my God, please don't go. Like, (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. So... It's also like, I kind of feel like for myself, thinking back to past relationships or even just people I've dated, I feel like my attachment style can change too. So yeah, that Mm. totally makes sense. It's kind of sometimes based on the relationship you have with a person and how they're treating you. And I feel like when you're secure, then you're able to just stay the course and remain yourself regardless of what type of treatment you're receiving. But if you're still figuring that out, I feel like you can kind of vacillate between the two or three other styles. And yeah, it's just not, not a good way to be, but it's really hard, I think, to achieve that entire security in terms of your attachment style. Absolutely. It requires a lot of active work. So I kind of want to backtrack to something else that you said. So you were talking about how you kind of go through a second puberty after you decide to come out and you're in your 20s and you're kind of experiencing what it's like to date for the first or second, I guess, time, but the first time that's really authentic to yourself. And you mentioned that there's not as much of an expectation for you to be in a specific type of relationship because everyone understands that is what you're going through. However, I feel like I always hear, and you kind of alluded to it as well, the stereotype about lesbians getting into relationships very quickly. Excellent question. How does that stereotype come about? Do you feel like it's actually based in reality? What are your thoughts? So for those who don't know, the stereotype for lesbians is that you bring a U-Haul to the second date. (laughs) And, you know, from that has spawned U-Hauling and lots of different things. And lesbians have this stereotype of getting into relationships very quickly. And while it's a stereotype, it does happen a lot. And I think I even mentioned this when I said that, you know, lesbian bars uh, struggle to survive because once a lesbian gets a girlfriend, she's like, I'm good. And so I think it, I think in part it is true. And I honestly, I joke a lot that, you know, it's very hard to meet another woman that you're interested in, or a, like I said, a women identified person yeah. who you haven't dated before, mm-hmm. who your friends haven't dated before, who isn't one of your friends, mm-hmm. who isn't crazy and crazy in the sense of like, you've met them on the apps and you're like, oh my God, this will never work for us. Yeah. And a whole other list of issues On top of like, are we just compatible? Are we attracted to one another? Do we have similar fundamental likes? Do we see ourselves, you know, going the same places long-term? So once you find that, because, you know, are you on the apps? Are you going out to bars all the time? Mm -hmm. By the time you find someone that you actually like and want to be with, Mm -hmm. they've probably had a similarly difficult time. And so it's like, well, why the heck not? You know, what are you doing for the next week? 
Mm-hmm. We should probably just spend all that time together. Oh, yeah. And then the next thing you know, you live together. That's kind of how it all happens. You get yeah. caught up in the moment. And I like to think, you know, even for straight women, what if you were dating a man who was emotionally evocative and communicative and really what? wanted to settle down right away <laughs> yeah. and was like, I'm super into you. So any of my spare time, I want to dedicate to working on a relationship. Yeah. You might want to, you might move a little faster. That's so true. That's so true. I have thought about it. And I think that when you're the same gender as somebody, maybe sometimes you just are a little bit more aligned in how you're approaching things. And so I do wonder if that helps. Of course, there are difficulties for each type of relationship that, you know, no one can really foresee and it changes from person to person. And it's all about where you are in life, right? Like, like I said, I spent like five to six years where I was not interested in that at all. And so there were a lot of women that I was dating that did want to move very quickly. And that actually ended up being something that I wasn't interested in. And so I had to break it off Mm -hmm. because I could see it moving really quickly and I wasn't interested in that. And so it's definitely not categorical, but you know, once again, we're talking about a stereotype, right? And so just as gay men get a stereotype of, you know, not not settling down, which is based in an existing binary stereotype about men. That's the same for women. Yeah, definitely. So you did settle down, of course, because now you're with your lovely girlfriend. I did. And I'd love to hear about how you two met. Yes, we tell this story a lot to the point where when I was visiting her family in Boston, mm-hmm. we'd been asked the story and told the story enough in a sequence of like a couple of days mm-hmm. where at one point her dad interrupted us and goes, I think I got this, told the story verbatim, and then what? went, was that it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Which was very cute, but yeah. also like, okay guys, enough. So the way we met, we actually met IRL. If you can believe it, I couldn't believe it. So we met at a concert, a NAO concert at the Novo downtown. Mm -hmm. And we were both standing in line for drinks. And I thought she was very cute. And, you know, one thing being on a podcast that you will not learn about me is that I've been told I have a very evocative face. I make a lot of facial expressions. I'm not (laughs) aware of what these facial expressions are 99% of the time, which, you know, I hope is charming and endearing, but it's likely also gotten me into some trouble. So I was checking her out. Mm-hmm. And let's just say that it was written all over my face. Aww. And I was also trying to figure out if I knew her. So on top of checking her out, I was also squinting and holding <laughs> way too long eye contact yes. as you do when you think you know someone. Yeah. And so I, you know, she finally just says, Hey, <laughs> do I know you from somewhere? Oh. Mm-hmm. And I was caught and I was like, yeah, I've been trying to figure that out. Sorry, I've been staring. And she goes, yeah, no, I'm wondering myself, you know, did we go to the same college? Did we go to Vassar together? Mm-hmm. And I said, maybe. So, you know, we're moving along in the line yeah. talking. We get to the bar at the same time. We order our drinks Aww. and we're talking. Move over to the side and end up talking for you know, an hour or so. And it turns out we did go to the same college. And not only that, but we had mutual friends. And not only that, but she'd been in my house before um, rehearsing (laughs) for a play because we were both drama majors. She was a couple years my junior. And so we hadn't, we didn't run in the same circles, Mm -hmm. but we'd never met 
after all of that. And so it kind of felt very kismet. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking, I was kind of going through in my mind, oh my God, Mm -hmm. does she know I'm gay? Mm -hmm. We have this connection now of Vassar. She's very gregarious person. You know, maybe we're getting on just because we could be friends. Mm -hmm. How do I communicate to her that I'm, I'm interested. And as I'm thinking about this, she goes, you know, I think there's somewhere else that I know you from. Mm -hmm. I said, Oh my God, where? She goes, yeah, I think we matched on Tinder. (gasps) There it is. Needless to say, I was mortified, racking my brain because I could (laughs) not remember that. Yeah. And I'm thinking in my head, what? And now I'm embarrassed because I'm like, oh my God, like Homer Simpson <laughs> into the bushes. Yes. Like this yeah. is so awful. Yeah. And um, I try to recover myself as quickly as possible. And I'm like, well, that's not only embarrassing, but idiotic. Oh. I won't make that mistake again. Can I get your phone number? Wow. So I got her number. You know, I have my moments. Um, <laughs> Luckily, well-placed because that was probably one of two times where I said anything smooth. And so, yeah, I got her number, asked her out like either that night or the next day. We went on a date the next week and it's been a year and a half later. The rest is history. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. So you said that you asked her out, right? Well, you kind of went on the date. When did you become official? Like at what point were you like, we are not dating other people? And how did you have that conversation? Well, it's too pronged. I think when did we become official Mm -hmm. was several months in. Mm -hmm. But when I realized that I wanted to be official was I had been kind of seeing someone else at the same time. Mm -hmm. Similar, you know, we hadn't outlapped each other in dates by any means, kind of multiple, the same amount of dates, like two or three dates. And I was just like astronomically more interested in her. And so I stopped seeing that other person. I didn't tell her, I didn't think it was necessary, wasn't necessarily interested in being exclusive right away, but I knew that I didn't feel like dating anyone else. Okay. But we became official maybe two or three months in Mm -hmm. and by official, just exclusive. Yeah. She'd actually invited me to like a sex themed game night, which was really fun, a fun idea. And I'd always kind of wanted to go to like something like that, you know, kind of cheeky, you know, like I said, I was trying to date more seriously. And so I wanted to kind of like have some more experiences. And I was like, well, this is fun. I can go with someone that I like. Yeah. And she had offered to bring life-size Jenga to this party because she had one. And so we decided to go to this party, but of course, all of my anxiety set in, right? At first I'm like, yeah, sounds great. And then I was like, oh my God, what is our status? Like, how are we going to this party? Like, what's going to happen when we get there? We're not exclusive. I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to be that girl. And so Mm -hmm. we're on a date before this, you know, impending party. And she brought it up. Actually, I often say that I'm the kind of person who's vocal every day. I'm very like kind of vocally affectionate, mm-hmm. um, but she's the big gesture person. You know, every big move we've ever had, it was her mm-hmm. asking us to be official, and, yeah. you know, every kind of big thing she's done, um, saying I love you first. So anyway, she kind of says, hey, we're going to this party. I just kind of wanted to talk to you about what your comfort level is. And yeah. 
I'm beating around the bush, right? Like I'm really trying to keep this like cool girl persona that I've been working very hard to sustain to my friend's chagrin because of course I just like pour all my anxieties onto them so that when I show up to the date, I'm like cool as a cucumber. Yes. <laughs> and so I am like, yeah, you know, I'm all about no labels and I'm trying to like really be cool about everything. Yeah. She probably saw through that and also just is way more forthcoming person, Mm -hmm. very direct, which is one of the things I liked about her. Yeah. And so she's like, well, you know, for my part, I really like where this relationship is going. I'm Mm -hmm. very, you know, I like you a lot. So I'd love to, you know, go to that party understanding that it's just you and I together. I love that. And I was like, yeah, me too. That sounds great. I'm also interested in that. What a good idea. <laughs> it just all comes spewing out. Like, right, right, oh my right. gosh, I love that. Turns out that party was not at all what we, it was basically just like a very sexy game night. But, you know, it got us to have a tough conversation. Wow, that's really cool. I love that. And I think it is kind of like when you have to be confronted with the idea that there could be somebody else, it really suddenly amplifies the urgency of being like, wait, but like, I don't want there to be anyone else for you. So Right. And she'd actually had several poly relationships in the past. And Mm so it was something that I was aware that she was capable of. And I didn't want to hold her back. You know, she's a couple years younger than me, as I mentioned. And so I didn't want to be that kind of like stodgy older person. But I had made it very clear that I was monogamous. And so I think it was just a matter of like, if we are going to be exclusive, like that is what that means to me. And so I wanted us both to be ready for that conversation. And we were. That's really nice. Do you feel like dating Ruthie has made you a little bit more vulnerable? Because, spoiler alert, I feel like from my perspective, it has. (laughs) (laughs) Way to lead the witness. (laughs) No, yeah, absolutely. It's made me, it's made me way more vulnerable. It's made me more comfortable with being Mm -hmm. vulnerable, I think might be the distinction. I definitely always been, we're all capable of vulnerability, but it made me more able to sit in that discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is, you know, constant, I don't know, recognition or I had a safety net, you know, we had a very honest relationship, Mm -hmm. very forthcoming relationship. And I was developing in very deep feelings. And it was kind of like, if I was going to continue to hold myself back, we weren't going to get very far. Yeah. So it really kind of, you know, falling for her helped push me to be a bit more vulnerable. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I also feel like the right person can make you more vulnerable. So slight detour. The last person I dated, even though we didn't date that long, I've told a couple people, I feel like I was more vulnerable in dating him than I had been dating the person who I dated immediately Mm. before, even though I knew that person infinitely longer. And it just felt very natural. And one thing that came up is that we were talking about our relationship and how we had started dating in the first place. And we met while we were on vacation. And he said that I said that I wanted to continue dating after we got back from Mexico. And I was like, that doesn't sound like me at all. I was like, I would not be that vulnerable. We only knew each other for like four days at that point. I don't know that I would have said that. I still, I don't remember it. So I'm not denying it, but I'm like, that's so funny that I said that and then clearly blacked it out because I'm like so uncomfortable with being that forward usually. But he insisted, he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, you mentioned that you wanted to 
give it a shot. And I was, of course, open to it. We were having a good time. But I'm just like, that's so funny that I would be that comfortable with somebody. And I think it just goes to show that how vulnerable you are is largely dictated by the level of comfort you feel with the individual person. I, I think that's absolutely true. I actually remember that those conversations, that was a really fun time. I loved hearing that in the office. But I, I agree. I think it's, it's two parts, right? Like I think at least my vulnerability came in a part of my life where I had become more comfortable with myself in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So feeling vulnerable was less tied to like my own sense of security. Yeah. But it had a lot to do with her. Like I never asked people out on dates. I never yeah. made the first move. I never asked for phone numbers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I very much felt this, I don't want to let this go. I don't yeah. want this to be the, re- I don't want my cowardice to be the reason I never figured it out yeah and you know obviously it's like a constant battle like we went on our first date and I was like oh my god this is going so well she must want to be friends oh which is like what is that even why and so I didn't I went to make the first kiss move and I chickened out and then she kissed me you know so like I think it was always it's always a constant battle especially if you're not necessarily emotionally vulnerable in your relationships but you know, I do believe that being inspired by someone helps. It does. And it's interesting because I feel like for me, I am working to take more initiative in some ways. Like I feel like in past episodes, I've talked about how I've never asked a guy out. Oh my God, do it. I guess it's really something that I struggle with. And part of that I will say is because of like societally ingrained expectations that I have about Mm -hmm. how it's like, men pursue you and I don't know it's just like that's kind of how I was raised and I feel like that's reinforced in a lot of societal things Mm -hmm. culturally so I just need to get over it honestly and I think it's just something that's really interesting because I don't know and at least with you I feel like if you're dating someone who is the same sex as you it's not like a oh well this person is expected to do it it's kind of like it's just whoever feels more comfortable and more confident and wants to take the initiative, but at least there isn't the societal pressure that one of you should be the one leading things. Yeah, I, I can definitely attest to that. I, like I said, I'm a very direct person. And while I wasn't always super forthcoming, I think apps helped because like I said, I didn't want to be wasting my time. And so yeah. it was like, if we'd been talking for a while, I never wanted to be talking longer than three days. And so if we were talking any longer than that, I was like, nope, do we want to go out? If there were wishy-washy plans around that, I was like, cool, bye. Like it really helped (laughs) me to just be like, I want to figure out if this is going to work in person. And so it made me want to ask people out. I also think I had to build up the courage to ask people out because if I was always waiting for someone else to do it, I didn't want to get friend zoned. And so I do think that there is just a bit of a, there is no like who's on first. It's kind of like, Mm -hmm. how do you want to take control of your situation? How's it all going? Who feels more compelled? But, you know, Leslie, take the bull by the horns. Yes. Because, you know, I think a lot of the societal norms that we have are around toxic masculinity, right? And like Mm -hmm. guys are taught that they can't that they always have to be the one and guys are shy too and Mm -hmm. they're insecure as well. So I'm sure that anyone would be at least flattered to be asked out first. And if Mm -hmm. we've been talking for a serious amount of days or hours, someone gave me this advice once because I'm such a scaredy cat when it comes (laughs) to, to dating in a lot of ways. Yeah. 
And they said, if you feel it, they probably feel it too. That's great advice. And it was so freeing and helpful because there's so much like inner turmoil around like, oh, do I like them more? Am I making this up? Do I think we have vibes and there aren't? If you feel the vibes, it's probably happening because there's two of you. Yeah. And so they're either into you or gaslighting you. And by asking them out or making the next step, you get to figure out which one it is. That's such a great point. Wow. That's very true. And I also do feel like, you know, the whole fear of being friend zoned, it's like, there's no reason to be afraid of it. You just need to like kind of make a move to determine either way. So that person has to decide like, oh, I do want to show her that I'm interested or I need to make it clear that this is only going to be platonic. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Okay. You're my inspiration. Also, I think one of the more intuitive things you said is like, you don't want to talk to someone on the apps for more than three days without it going anywhere. What a waste of time. And I do think suggesting, hey, we should meet up or have a FaceTime date in these current days. That's a really great way to just kind of move things along before it gets stagnant. Yeah, I would always say I don't want a pen pal. Yeah, honestly. I just feel like, you know, both of us were very busy. We have a good network of friends and I'm not trying to sound cocky. Of course, I welcome more friends, but I don't need to go on dating apps to find them. Drake said it best. No new friends, you know? No, no new friends. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. But you know, you bring up a really good point that I'm curious about because most of my friends are still single and we lead like a very single lifestyle still too. There might be one or two other people in my group who are in relationships. Yeah. And so we've been talking a lot about quarantine dating. Yeah. And I think there's like so many hoops you have to jump through in normal dating and quarantine adds another level. Like what's that been like for you? Have you even been trying to date? Are you taking a break? So it's funny because right before quarantine began, like literally the day before it was announced that everything was shutting down, I had a first date with somebody. And that was interesting too, because before we had that first date, we'd actually done a FaceTime date. And it felt like it was kind of foreshadowing everything that was to come. Oh my God, what are the odds of that? Honestly, I had never actually done a FaceTime first date before. But one of my previous guests, Megan, she used to only do an in-person date after doing FaceTime dates. You're kidding me. What was the, I love, what is the thought around that? She said that it was just a great way to get a sense of somebody's vibe and understand if you were going to click because I, she actually really mirrored a lot of what you've been saying about dating intentionally. That's a phrase that she used as well. And she just wanted to make sure that she wasn't wasting her time. She had one person where they went on a date. I think it was 10 minutes in and the guy was asking, oh, I'm really having a great time. How are you feeling? And she already knew she wasn't into it. And she told him 10 minutes in, and I guess he freaked out on her in a parking lot. And that is a level of directness I have yet to achieve. But I thought that was really admirable. That is very admirable. And I do think, you know, we don't need to go on this tangent, but I do think women being direct, especially with someone of the opposite sex, there's an element of fear. I saw a comedy, like a little bit on TikTok, maybe it was Chelsea Peretti, someone like this. And they were basically talking about, you know, when a woman goes on a date, she has to think about, are you going to murder her? What are your intentions? When you walk her to the car, what's your plan? You know, I used to walk around with my keys Mm -hmm. with with the little key thing out between my knuckles, just in case, like there's all this like tension around it. And a guy's like, I'm walking you to your car. And there's this element, the true element of fear around that. And so 
saying, hey, I'm not that into you, there's a real fear factor of them not taking that well and not putting you at risk. So there is. And again, not to go too far down this tangent, but this was really stupid. I'm just going to preface this. I think <laughs> nobody should do this because it was very unsafe. I went on a third date with this person a little while back. I was still at Universal. And our first two dates went well. You know, he seemed really normal and everything. It's not like there were red flags. But for our third date, he offered to like me dinner. And so I went to his place. And I don't even know if I told, I think I might have mentioned to someone in passing, like, oh, yeah, I have a date tonight. I don't think I told anyone I'm going over to this guy's place. Here's where he lives, blah, blah, blah. He lived in Altadena. (gasps) And for anyone who doesn't live in LA, that is so far. It doesn't even feel like Los Angeles because there are literally like deer that you can encounter How as you're walking down the street. even? Like hours? No, it was, I'm trying to think. It probably took me an hour and 15 minutes to get there from oh, no. Universal. That was also because it was, you know, like rush hour. So there was traffic. But I didn't fully realize how far it was. I was like, oh, it's by Pasadena. I was like, oh, not thinking how much further it was from Pasadena. So <laughs> after I go past Pasadena, I literally had a thought where I was like, oh my God, I could get murdered at this guy's place. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And it got to a point where I was driving and it was like the end of this road. Like he, it was literally a neighborhood and at the end of the street was like a forest. And that's when I was oh. like, oh my God, I could be literally chopped up and like thrown into this forest and who would know? And the service wasn't even that great. <laughs> I stayed. And obviously I'm fine and nothing creepy happened. He was great. It was a lovely dinner, a lovely date. But yeah, everyone should definitely tell people where they're going because- But it's the fact that you have to think about that stuff. Like I I really do want to continue to put that more on the map that Mm -hmm. there's just so much more at stake. Yeah. And- it's to be taken seriously. There's nothing okay with the fact that women have to worry if they're going to get murdered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> On it's a date. It's really not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. Wow. So we digressed, but I know what we were talking about was the whole FaceTime dating thing. And so my friend Megan, she does that because she feels like it's a great way to make sure she's mm-hmm. wasting her time. And I agree because the reason why I had done this FaceTime date with this person was partially because I've always had it in the back of my head that she did that. It was very successful for her. It makes sense strategically and we're all busy people. So why not kind of whittle down the time that you waste Mm -hmm. going on dates where you're incompatible with somebody. So this person and I, we'd matched on Hinge. I don't, might've been like a week, week and a half. We just like, we're trying to find a time to meet up and we couldn't. And the last time that he had asked me to hang out, I couldn't. So I felt bad. And I said, you know, I do want to meet up with you. Why don't we do a FaceTime since I can't meet tonight? And then we'll set a time to meet in the future. And, and like when he had liked me on Hinge, I was kind of back and forth on if I should even match with him. So I was kind of on the fence. It's like, he's fine. We'll see. And so then the conversation was okay. I will say he wasn't the most consistent texter all the time. So sometimes it could be hard to build up momentum and build up that banter. Mm -hmm. But I was still not disinterested. After we had this FaceTime date, it was very casual. We only talked for like 40 minutes. But after that, I was like, oh, I'm interested. I was like, because I remember I had seen his pictures. And it was like, there was one picture. I was like, oh, he looks really cute in that one. And then I feel like sometimes anybody, particularly straight males, I think sometimes they don't know which pictures look best of them. So the other pictures, I was like, okay. And I was like, oh, he looks like he did in that one picture. And it was just such 
easy flowing conversation mm. that I was like, I just felt the chemistry. And so we went on our first date the day before all the restaurants shut down. So we were even joking. We're like, maybe we shouldn't do this. Cause I don't think we fully realized how serious it was, no but it was at the did. point where people were already starting to talk about not doing things. Yeah. <laughs> so we still meet up and it was a great first date. It was really good. Oh, I love that. And I think that now, even after quarantine ends, I would be an advocate for doing a FaceTime date beforehand because Mm. for one, you kind of get some of the small talk out of the way. And I do feel like it's a good way to discern, is this someone who I would actually connect with versus just texting them? Like there was one guy I had a phone call with actually, and our phone call went well. And so I had been excited before the phone call. After the phone call, I was more excited because I was like, okay, you know, like he's easy to talk to. And then on the date, it was just a dud. It just wasn't a match. And he was awkward in a way that did not come across over the phone. So I was like, had we done a FaceTime, uh, maybe that would have been more apparent. Wow. Yeah. That's a great point. I never thought about it that way. I do love the idea of that. So have you been having any more FaceTime dates since the quarantine? Recently, I think now that the quarantine is just extended on indefinitely, I've been like, okay, I guess I should start going back on the apps and talking to people. And so I have had a couple of FaceTime dates, not too many, because I think that I'm in a place where I'm not willing to just meet up with anyone. And I feel like I'm also trying to be more selective about who I talked to versus when I was first on the apps and was just kind of like exhausting all my energy. So I've had a couple and they're fine. I feel like they are a little awkward. I'm going to be honest. I mean, not all of them have been as good as that one with the guy who I ended up seeing in person, but they're not horrible. I guess it's kind of nice because it takes some pressure off of having to like get fully dressed up and like drive somewhere to meet someone. I think there's like a little bit of a, lowered expectation in terms Mm. of how formal it is although is it just me i feel like getting dressed for a zoom or a facetime is like such a different ball game and like in a way that i don't necessarily appreciate like i was never the kind of person that wore like big statement shirts and i feel like now that's all people can see yeah so like you need you know if you want to look fancy you can't just wear a t-shirt and cool pants you have to wear a fancy top your hair looks different you have to like i'm constantly using that little camera thing before the meeting to like make sure i look crazy (laughs) you know so i do think that there's just like a lot of additional new things to consider and yeah. And talking to some of my friends about it is, okay, so you hit it off on FaceTime, you're texting, whatever the case, you know, that might not be so challenging. But to your point, you have to be more selective. Yeah. And then there's like a heightening of the stakes around when you hang out in person, if you hang yes. out in person. Absolutely. And I personally think that any sort of additive stakes, especially dating early on, can be a real buzzkill because it all of a sudden forces you to answer these questions of like, where do I see this going? And I think having to ask that too prematurely can be really hard. And so if you're not only thinking about whether or not you want to see this person in person, you're now also thinking about, are they the only person you're going to want to see because you don't want to expose your friends? Yeah. Absolutely. And now you're making a decision between them and other people that you know you like. Like, mm-hmm. I think that gets so much more challenging. I agree. Yeah. Also, I think that if you decide to meet in person, 
it's more awkward, of course, because, you know, normally for a date, you're going to hug the person. Like, are you going to hug a stranger in the middle of a pandemic? Like, it's honestly awkward just like seeing your own friends. Like I've been, you know, going to parks and stuff when I, you know, back when it was like, we had like that one month where we could do that. Go to a park, we'd sit like 10 feet apart. Yeah. And to see someone you haven't seen in months and not be able to hug them. Yeah. Or when you leave, you're like, okay, bye. Like it's just, it's, it's definitely uncomfortable. I had a really awkward run in where I was in a park and I ran into um, someone who we actually used to work with and I don't want to call her out, but it was so uncomfortable. I'm texting you after this. I'm done. Yes. So I was sitting on a park bench with somebody and we like, I'd taken off my mask for like a period of time because there was no one around. And then Mm -hmm. I was walking to the trash can and in a split second, I had like forgotten to put it back on. Oh, and then I hear my name. So no. I'm all, then all right, also like thrown. So I'm not thinking like, oh shoot, I don't have my mask. I'm just like, who's calling my name? You know, my train of thought has changed. And so I go up and I like go to give them a hug. Oh my God. And then I was like, why were they so weird? And then I start to walk away. I'm like, oh my God, you just hugged them unsolicited with no mask on. You actually hugged them? Yes. Oh my God. I was like, I assaulted somebody in the middle of a pandemic. You're that person. I swear to God. I I know. I. I, wi- I almost witnessed that happen to my girlfriend. We had like, we had been very aggressive about, you know, quarantining and Cloroxing everything and wearing the masks and not seeing people. And so when that finally let up a little bit, it's like we hadn't seen our dear friends in some time. And so we were having a distance tang and someone stopped by like a neighbor that actually oh. happened to used to know Ruthie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of the things you're realizing in quarantine is that people have different interpretations of what that means yes and this guy who like hadn't they hadn't seen each other in years who mm-hmm. are you even goes in for a hug yeah and yeah. ruthie you know was like hey don't do that but like as he was walking forward he was getting close enough that i was like can you not i love that you called it out and she was like yeah we're not hugging right now But it really is. It's a tough, it's like you have to, I think so many of our social norms are going to be forever shifted. I think about like, you know, what our grandchildren, if we freaking make it that far, what our grandchildren are like, oh, grandma doesn't hug. And, you know, she doesn't, you know, she only says we can use four squares of toilet paper at a time, (laughs) you know, like. She's so weird. And it's like, well, she grew up in the COVID generation, kids. It's like, look at grandma's mask collection. Why does she have so many of these? Right. Yeah. Why do we always have to wear a mask when we get sick with grandma? Just yeah. don't ask. Just put your I mask know. on. So. And I think if there's anything to take away, it's that, you know, I massaged your shoulders unsolicited <laughs> and I hugged <laughs> another coworker during a pandemic. And so I clearly have no boundaries. You know, you're just coworker. friendly. Once the, it's once you're much. Leslie's friend, you're Leslie's friend and that's it. And I personally love feeling welcomed in that way. Oh, well, I'm sure that this other person felt less excited about the hug, but it's very kind of you. <laughs> I'm still embarrassed about it. I'm like mortified. I mean, honestly, fair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Learning lesson. Okay. So going back to your relationship with Ruthie, because, you know, you now live together 
24 seven. So what has it been like? Have there been any challenges? Have you learned anything about each other that you feel like you wouldn't have learned until maybe like a year into living with her, but now it's just been accelerated? You know, I do feel very lucky. It does very much feel like the setup for a sitcom. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one of the sad things about living in LA is that you're constantly thinking about something in your life that like could make for a TV show or a movie. Mm -hmm. And it does sort of feel that way. Like you move in with your girlfriend in the middle of a pandemic and you can only see each other. And like I said, we took it very seriously and we really were on lockdown for the first like three months. And so we did not leave the house. Mm -hmm. Neither of us drive. We were Mm -hmm. metro commuters before all of this went down. So we didn't leave our like five mile radius for a very long time. And we're lucky. It went really well. It's been going really well. I think being very communicative has been what's helpful in that. It's not that we haven't had things that we needed to discuss, but we had a basis of open communication. And so if there was something that was going on with us, we don't let it stew for very long we're still human so it's like oh I don't feel like talking about it right now but ultimately it's like okay I was really struggling with this actually because of x y and z and so I think having really great open lines of communication has been really helpful and has avoided any major squabbles but I think we're just still you know it's the honeymoon phase we're like a year and a half in we're excited to be moving in together to be building a home together you know we're cooking we're we're total nerds together and everyone I feel like everyone says this when people say that I think it sounds really annoying like oh we're so nerdy I'm not a typical girl it's like yes you are you're a typical girl we're all typical girls whatever that means or you're not a typical girl who cares but I think we are ourselves with each other and so that then makes things really fun we had an 80s dance party last night for absolutely no reason you know oh my gosh We were both very social people before this. And so we made a point to continue to try to have moments where we were having dates, you know? So we would cook fancy dinners or we would, you know, we have something called club wine where we would like do wine tasting and then like put on, you know, jazz music and sit outside. Not so classy. Last night we named our 80s dance party because we've had, we've had a couple dance parties. (laughs) Um, and so we we named it officially Club Hall last night. Mm-hmm. Club with a K. Hall <laughs> like Hall like H U L for U Hall, oh, but also oh dance my hall. god, yes, I love that. So you know, you just gotta keep it fun. But as far as things that we've learned sooner than we would have learned them, mm-hmm. I think, like I said, we had both been very social people. It's one of the things that I found very attractive. It's one of the things that as I was dating a lot, I learned what I was actually looking for in a partner. Mm-hmm. And I'm very social. And I always thought that I wanted someone that was a bit more reserved or those are the people that ended up gravitating toward me. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that's because that worked. It ended up leading to a lot of incompatibility in the end because I get a lot of my energy from being around friends, from yeah. going places, doing things, being with people. Yeah. When you're dating like an extreme introvert, they get their energy from the exact opposite thing. And so Mm -hmm. it was always this push and pull of me wanting them to spend time with me and my friends, them feeling really drained by that and me feeling hurt by that in turn. So I was really attracted to the fact that she had her own plans, her own social calendar, her own things to do. 
But that ended up being challenging in quarantine because we missed those things. Yeah. Well, one of us more than the other. So what we learned is that, you know, Ruthie actually is more introverted than she oh. thought. And oh. she kind of was joking. She was like, oh, my God, I, I was complaining about how much I missed my friends. And she was like, actually, it's kind of nice. You don't have to see everyone. You don't have to try so hard. You don't have all, all your energy. Yeah. You get to save some of that. I'm drying. I'm, and then she was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you're like mm, I'm kind of loving this and I was like yeah. oh wow so because of that you know she's a very independent person one of the other things I really liked about her and yeah. she's very creative she writes she mm -hmm. does art and a lot of those activities are solitary activities she dances and so when you move in together with someone and then you can literally never leave you have to create clearer boundaries around when you need alone time. Yeah. And I'm very different. I, you know, I always consider myself solitary. I lived by myself for the yeah. first time in my whole life before mm -hmm. we moved in together. Mm -hmm. I thrived. I loved it. I lived yeah. for it. It was a thrill. And I had a very active social calendar. So for me, yes. it was like a rest and an ability yeah. to be in control of my own environment. Mm -hmm. But as it turns out, I really like being around other people most of the time. Yeah. And so I could go on an hour long run mm -hmm. and be like, okay, I had my alone time. Whereas yeah. like Ruthie is like, she, she needs the whole day, you know, <laughs> she needs like several hours. It could roll yeah. into the next day as far as yeah. she's concerned. And yeah. so it's really just about figuring out having an open conversation because I think there's room to get really hurt mm -hmm. by that oh you don't want to spend time with me yeah. or oh you know you're not giving me what I need which is space right now and kind of clarifying what space means and so mm -hmm. I think we just had to come up with some parameters around that early on mm -hmm. that we don't always need to be frank but you know we want to have quiet time we want to have what we call side by side time which is like Aww we're hanging out, we are in the same room together, mm -hmm. but doing different things, separate things, yeah, yeah. versus I actually want to be in a different room. And kind of taking a lot of the pressure and the mystery out of that, mm -hmm. I don't have to do any guesswork. It's like, hey, this is what I need, I'm going to go do it. Yeah. When do you want, you know, I'm thinking that in the next few hours, let's check back in. Okay. So like I said, that open communication has been really helpful. So I think we had to figure that out a little faster than we probably would have if yeah. we had our natural cadence of seeing friends and me not being home and her being yeah. home and able to kind of stretch out a little bit more. It sounds like you guys are really self-aware about that. And the introvert versus extrovert thing is very interesting too, because I would say I'm pretty extroverted and have mostly... For the people who have dated longer term, I would say they're, if not introverts, they are definitely more introvert leaning. So I, mm -hmm. I can totally relate to that same feeling of like wanting to push them to do more things and then maybe it being a source of exhaustion for them. But now that source of exhaustion is gone. But then where do you get your energy from right. as an extrovert? Exactly. Yeah. Also, I was going to ask you about what it was like to go from living alone for the first time to now sharing your space with somebody. Because I do remember you moving into your own place when we were still working together and how excited you were and how happy you were. And obviously you're really happy in this relationship, but was there any part of you where it was difficult to come to terms with the fact that you would not have that, that space that was solely your own anymore? <laughs> Yeah, I, I do think so. I, like I said, it's going very well. And I had lived with a partner before, which I think is important mm -hmm. because I knew there were things I didn't want to do again. Mm -hmm. Things about myself 
that I didn't like or that ended up being toxic for the relationship that I've since learned from. So I think it was really helpful to have lived with a partner before because sometimes you just have to get over yourself and not have an ego about something. Sometimes you have to not do something you want to do right now. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to listen to 80s music last night. (laughs) So I thought, but it wasn't about me. It's not always about me, right? And so taking that step back and being like, she wants to listen to 80s music. Just do it. What's the yeah. harm? And we ended up having, it changed the course of the night. We ended up having such a different fun night because of that. And so yeah. I think it's letting go and not always needing to run everything. But that is also one of the incredible things about living alone, right? Mm-hmm. So I had always lived with roommates or a partner or my parents. Mm-hmm. And so my last living situation was less than ideal for several reasons. It was also fun and great, but there yeah. were a lot of elements of it I didn't like. We had different sort of cleaning sensibilities was one. That's and nice. so I would spend a lot of time cleaning or getting something to a place that I liked it. Yeah. And I'd come home and it would be in disarray. And I just found that so unsettling. And yeah. so I always said that when I moved in with myself, oh, I love I, that. Oh my gosh. When I moved in with myself, cause it is like, a, it's like a relationship with you. I was like dating me, you know? Yeah. And I was, I always would say like, sometimes I was like, I could leave something on this counter and it'll yes. be there when I get back. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I would do that. I would clean the whole house mm-hmm. and then I'd have a cup of coffee and I'd leave it on the coffee table on yep. a coaster key. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Just <laughs> so that, oh my God. I do feel like there's like coaster people and there's not coaster people. Um, yeah. But you know, I would do that just so that when I got home, it would still be there. And I'd yeah. be like, hee, 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 hee. So <laughs> that was one of those many things. But I'd never invested in a space the way I did when I lived alone. Yeah. Um, I bought all my own first furniture for the first time. You know, yeah. I wasn't always using hand-me-downs or mm-hmm. furniture from the other person. Yeah. So I really got to understand what my own stylistic aesthetic was, which I think yeah. has been helpful going into building a home with a partner yeah. because I know what I like, but I also yeah. don't feel so starved for that, that I'm yeah. being tyrannical about the, the choices we make about furniture and Mm -hmm. and how we decorate the house. So I feel really grateful that I have that space Mm -hmm. um, to myself to figure out what I liked, what I'm interested in, who I am as a single person before moving in. That is great. And I live alone now as well. It's my first time living alone. Isn't it great? It's really nice. (laughs) And I related to what you said so much because there was a time in my life when I was younger and this was even before I graduated from college. I had to live alone for a couple of months. I went back to UCLA for this internship and they put us up in housing and you didn't have to have a roommate for the period of time that we were there for summer. And I hated it. I still remember telling my mom, I was like, this is so sad. Part of it was a lot of my friends had done summer school in the first half and then they all left in the second half. So I had no one to hang out with. And so I would go to work and then I would hang out with the one or two people who are around every so often, but most nights are just in my dorm alone. Mm-hmm. And I really, really didn't like it at all. And so I had a period where I was like, I'm going to have a roommate and then I'm going to get engaged and live with someone and I'm never going to live alone in my life. Oh, and that was my thought. I know. And now I totally understand what you mean about having a full social calendar. And so when you get home, it's not like, oh no, I'm alone. It's like, oh, this is the first time that I'm alone. I've been alone all day. Mm -hmm. You're at work all the time. Yep. 
you're engaging with people, commuting or doing whatever you're doing. You're seeing your friends. So going home and not having to answer to anyone, I I highly recommend it to anyone who's willing to try it. I did have friends though who lived alone and were like super depressed by it. So it's it's not for everyone. That's true. Um, But I I do recommend trying it at least once. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, I kind of want to wrap up with yeah. the game, and it's related yes. to your current living situation. So it's oh red God. flag or deal breaker. <laughs> and, of course, you know, your living situation with Ruthie is wonderful. So none of these are allusions to her at all. This is a hypothetical. Let's say I know. Don't get me in trouble, Leslie. No, not, none of this is about her. Let's say you were to move in with a totally random girlfriend in a totally alternate scenario and everything is great in your relationship, but then you realize they do this thing. Okay. And most of them, I will admit, they're not things that you would probably break up with someone over, but is it like a red flag or- You're not sure. You don't know that. Like That's I said, I'm a, I can be kind of black and white. Yeah. So I guess when I say red flag or deal breaker, the red flag in this case is- is it something that just annoys you or is this something where you're like, I'm not breaking up with you, but like we need to put a stop to this if we're going to be living together. Okay. Love that. Got it. Okay. So the first thing is they insist on putting a photo of their parents on your bedside table. Like their bedside table or mine? Well, (laughs) that's fair because you might have two. So in my scenario, like my bed is up against the wall. So I only have one table Mm. and it's kind of like, Wherever they put it, you have to see their parents while you're in bed at some point. Yeah, I'm going to go with red flag. I have questions about it. And also questions, it would not be a question. The question would be, does this have to be here? (laughs) Yes. Why is it here? And then if they were like, you know, if they explained why it was there, I would assess from there whether or not I sensed some unprocessed trauma. (laughs) Yeah. Or if, you know, they were like, ah, I've always had it here. I, I could be open to discussing why that is or mm-hmm. not having it there. I'd explain why I thought it was really uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we'd, we'd go from there. Yeah. Okay. So another artwork question. What if you're decorating as you're moving in together and they want the main picture in your living room, like the large focal art piece to be a paint and sip project that they created on their own. It's like they went to this paint and sip night, they painted this thing. And it's honestly, it's not that great. (laughs) They're like, I'm so proud of it. I had it in my own place and I want it to be our main artwork in the living room. I love that you've specifically called it a paint and sip. I think that's really (laughs) important. Yeah. Um, because we all know the caliber of that art. <laughs> um, Amazing. Leslie and I have actually had the pleasure of being a part of one of these. Mm-hmm. Not my best work. So th- this is not a fair question to ask in regards to Ruthie because she actually is an artist. That's true. Yeah. And so she makes art. She has made me art before and mm-hmm. we are going to put it up in our house and I'm excited about it. Mm-hmm. But if it was someone who was not talented at art Mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things where I would be that would be hard because I can be really honest Mm -hmm. I have a very specific aesthetic yeah if it wasn't good I'd be like I would I couldn't say that I wouldn't say that yeah 
but I would try to steer it. I'd try to be like, okay, you know, how important to you is it where it is? Mm-hmm. I think this is incredible. I think it, it might go better in this room. Mm-hmm. If they were really adamant that it be the focal piece, it might turn into a red flag for me because I'd be like, yeah. look, I don't know if I want this in here. And they'd have to decide how they felt about me saying that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But I love that you approached it diplomatically, much like you did with the photo of the parents. So that's great. Okay, so these next things are kind of about, you know, visitors to the place. And oh, this Lord. is not necessarily in a quarantine situation. This is just in general. So you realize that their parents live close and they drop by unannounced one time a week. Oh, no. <laughs> Darius's eyes widen so much. <laughs> oh, God. That's literally my worst nightmare, quarantine <laughs> or no quarantine. I grew up like this. My mom mm-hmm. was not about a surprise guest. Mm-hmm. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact of like my time is you know, reclaiming my time, yeah. as the infamous Maxine Waters has said, uh, reclaiming my time. So it's like, how dare you Yeah, about my time? Mm-hmm. But also, I think, you know, as a consummate host, and I also love to host, mm-hmm. I hate being caught unawares. You want to be prepared to be the best host you can be. And I think there's some relaxing involved in that. Like, I've had to take a step back. My house doesn't have to be spotless. I don't have to have a charcuterie board ready to go every time someone comes over. I can relax. If they're a friend of mine Mm -hmm. and they've just decided to stop by, I don't have to roll out the red carpet all the time. Being a great host doesn't mean that. It just means making someone feel welcome. So I do think I've kind of relaxed in that. But I'm still um, no surprise guests. That's a hard no for me. But continue on with the question. Yeah, so how would you address it then? Are you going to say your parents need to stop doing this? Or is it something where you would just kind of adapt to it? No, there are separate issues with that. You know, it's actually the one fight Ruthie and I had was about a guest who came into our house during the quarantine. Yeah. And we had had a very, like, aggressive, you know, not aggressive, very clear conversation we got a car during quarantine and we had a very clear conversation around how that was going to go that, you know, I was going to test drive the car, clean all the surfaces in the car, keep all the windows down and that they were going to entertain this person on our patio while I did this. So I tried to drive really quickly so that I could get a feel for it and head on back. And when I got there, they weren't outside and I came in the house and they were inside the house and Ruthie sweetheart that she is was like fixing them a plate of food. Yeah. The horror. Okay. The horror. I was mortified Yeah, not mortified. I was angry. I was really angry. And I was like, we had made a plan. Mm -hmm. And I feel like at the whim of this other person, you've gone against our plan. And so I was frustrated. I was frustrated. And I felt sort of like threatened that there was someone in our house that I didn't know where they'd been. Our bubble had been so tight at that point. It had just been the two of us. Mm -hmm. And I was like, of all the people I want to see right now in my house, and it's this, who are you, this person? So I was just like, on many levels, very frustrated. Yeah. And she was definitely kind of bulldozed, right? She was definitely taken by surprise and then just kind of went along with it. And I can understand that as well. Yeah. So I think that was a big conversation we had. It was by no means a deal breaker, but it was a big conversation around when you and I make a decision together, I want to know that we're sticking to that. 
that there isn't someone else that could come in Mm -hmm. and at a whim change an agreement that you and I have made together. Yeah. And so I think it was sort of a bigger conversation around that Mm -hmm. that was then just sort of like given additional urgency because of COVID. That's fair. That's fair. Well, so from a parent standpoint, would you... Oh, the surprise parents. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for the surprise parents... I'd still have the same conversation. I do yeah. not like drop by guests. No. Yeah. I don't think it's considerate. It's weekly. No one should be coming to this house weekly. <laughs> Let's just take COVID out of it completely. Yeah. An unannounced parent drop by. We are two adults who find each other very attractive. I don't want to be. what could be happening. Correct. I don't want to be uh, taken at any moment's notice. I want to be able to relax. What if I'm not wearing pants? So I I would definitely, we'd have to have a big talk about that. But it would have to be a diplomatic conversation because it is their parents, but you're not going to see them, right? So it would just be like, what's important to you from this? Is it the frequency? Is it the fact that you want them to have the freedom to stop by whenever? Yeah. Then what does that look like, right? Yeah. So this one, I guess, is honestly just an alternate to the previous question. So I guess I'm going to change it from red flag deal breaker to say, which in your mind is worse? Parents dropping by unannounced once a week or their parents come by like once a month, but they've given their parents a key. (laughs) (laughs) You drive a hard bargain. (laughs) not getting out of this scenario so easily wow let me oh my god what a horror situation on every front look I don't think any issue is insurmountable when you talk through it and when you really share where you're coming from but more importantly understand what's important to that person about this yeah because you want to, you don't want to be rigid. And I think that's something I have to learn. Not everything. I was an only child. Like not everything can be the way you want it to be, especially when you're in a partnership. So I would want to understand like, what about this is important to you? Yeah. And go from there. Mm-hmm. My gut reaction is no, but, oh, I don't stuttering. know about this. I think I have to go with once a month and a key with the stipulation Mm -hmm. that we get advanced warning. Yes. And there's a couple benefits to that. One, if they had a key, they could, if we went on vacation, accept packages, like they could do favors for us. Right. I'm like, what's in it for me? So they could do favors for us. And it also means that I could get a warning. So like, okay, they have a key, but they're coming over for lunch at two. And that means I don't have to leave the kitchen when I'm cooking. They can just let themselves in. Yeah, that's true. Okay, that's that's a good bargain. Wow, tough question. I know, uh, neither are ideal to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next question, and I guess this is interesting because it shows something about their character that you wouldn't know if you didn't live together. So you learn that they're the type of person to lose their key to the place once a month. Lose the key? <laughs> <laughs> love your reactions you're just like horrified in these scenarios oh my god okay go on so is that just like oh that's annoying but whatever or you're like wait this is a big issue and it shows that you're like irresponsible and this is something I need to consider more seriously so this is funny because it's actually an issue we both have we're both very clumsy and we lose stuff all the time Mm -hmm. I actually think it's become a non-issue because we never leave the house now true 
but we both lose things like all the time. And I would definitely go with neither. It's not a red flag or a deal breaker because it would more just be like a, Hey, I'm a little worried about you. Like, yeah. What's happening? What's going on with you? And it's something I lose things all the time. I don't, I'm not going to go out on like a whole tangent, but I've been losing stuff since I was a kid. Like Mm -hmm. I would come home from school with not a jacket, not a bag, not a lunchbox, not a, you know, barely my sweater on, like nothing. And it'd be like, you didn't notice that anything was missing the whole day. You didn't, you weren't like, where's my, where's my coat even, you know? So I've always (laughs) been losing stuff. Yeah. And that has continued. And it, what it is as an adult is a reflection of me being distracted. So when I'm really stressed out at work or I've got a lot going on or I'm really emotionally stressed out or distracted, I start losing stuff left, right, and center. And I lose my wallet. I lose my mm. keys. I feel like you've experienced this. I would lose my badge and I have to get someone yes. to let me in. Yes. I'm constantly losing stuff. Yeah. So I'm the red flag is the point. I'm um, but she loses stuff as well. And I just think it's about weighing your issues right like if you have a rock star understanding incredible girlfriend in every other way and like they Mm -hmm. lose stuff like okay yeah that's true we can get a teammate yeah get a one of those little hide a rock things exactly yeah so this last one you know i mean i guess it's the case for all of them it could not be a red flag maybe it's a green flag even so (laughs) they regularly sit on the furniture totally naked and that includes like no underwear not a problem okay easy which i now feel like people are like we're never coming over (laughs) for what it's worth we don't do that yeah but if it happened i would not be worried about it. And I feel like that comes from like college sensibility mm-hmm. and how many times I hooked up on friends' couches or vice versa. Yeah. And it's like, you have no way of knowing what's gone on on someone's couch. What are you going to no. do? Never go over again? Like, that's ah, true. Whatever. Yeah. That's a layer of, I don't know, like ignorance is bliss. Cause you just have to right. kind of like act like it didn't happen. Of course, like everyone is hooked up on their own couch. And it's like, who, you have pants on, right? Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And what's the issue? That's so true. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. This was amazing. And it's been really nice to catch up with you this way in absence of being able to hang out and give you a physical hug or back massage. So thank you for having me. I'm so honored. I hope that, you know, people don't stop listening to your podcast because I was on it and it was extremely boring. I'm kidding. I am super, super, super stoked and honored that you asked me to come on and hope it was fun and helpful. I had a great time. Yeah. Is there anything that you personally would like to plug where people could find you? You know, I don't have anything that I need plugged. My Instagram is private, but I would take positive vibes and energies for me starting a Finsta around some of the quarantine cooking I've been doing. Ooh, I really am looking forward to this content. (laughs) When it's available, I will let everyone know. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Leslie. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.